Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. On today's episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, you'll meet Tiffany Resvani. Tiffany is an SLP in Los Angeles who just started her private practice a few months ago, and it is already booming. Now, she hasn't been an SLP for all that long and is a great example of a quote-unquote new grad who has a lot to bring to the table and is bringing it. If you are a newer SLP who is wondering if you're too young to start a private practice, listen to this whole episode because you will see what is possible for Tiffany is also possible for you. Now, one of the interesting things about Tiffany is that she actually had what she thought was her dream job as an SLP in acute care, and she thought that the medical track was the perfect place for her. But once she got into it and realized that there were a lot of limitations that she didn't enjoy, she started to panic and was thinking about changing gears. So fast forward a few years later, and she has started her own private practice specializing in AAC. And she has also finally found the balance that she was seeking before. And she's very excited to be creating this new life for herself with better services for her clients. Tiffany is a great example of someone who went through the Start Your Private Practice Accelerator, took action, and now has the dream private practice that she didn't even realize was possible at her young age. If you want to make sure that you're on the wait list for the next time we open the doors, head over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist and get on the list. We only open the doors a few times each year and you don't want to miss it. Plus, you'll be able to hang out with Tiffany in our exclusive Facebook group if you join. But for now, let's hang out with Tiffany on the podcast. Now, I'm going to do the introduction quickly to get you all fired up, and then you'll meet Tiffany. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high-quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right, so before we begin, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Absolutely. My name is Tiffany Resvani. I'm in Los Angeles, California, and my private practice is called Technology Voices. 
So I already love that because I love technology and I'm assuming you do something in the AAC kind of field. And that's something that a lot of people are interested in is specializing in different aspects of our field. So I can't wait to find out how you got to that. But first, can you share a little bit about your early days in the field, maybe like post-grad school, your CF? What did you do when you first got out of school? When I first got out of school, I actually completed my clinical fellowship in acute rehab. So I worked in the medical setting. I worked acute rehab and floated to the acute side of things. So I absolutely loved that setting. Mm -hmm. Professionally and personally, it was some of my most fun that I had starting out. I absolutely loved working with cognitive linguistic disorders. I absolutely loved aphasia and apraxia. I absolutely loved working with populations like those affected with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's dementia. But I also found towards the end of my clinical fellowship that I almost felt like the setting was slowly killing me. (laughs) I know that sounds a little bit dramatic, but the quality of life was just terrible. And I found myself just getting so exhausted and too tired to meet with friends or spend time with family. And during my clinical fellowship, I probably worked every single holiday. So I worked like Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Memorial Day, and found that I was just not happy outside of work. As much as I loved working the medical side of things, I wasn't happy outside of work. And I've never been someone that I've wanted work to be my whole life. So while I started out in the medical setting in early days after graduate school, I pretty quickly transitioned away from it, actually, and left that job as soon as I was done with my CF. Yeah. I imagine that that might have been a dream job for you, right? For a lot of people, that acute care job is like a coveted position. But I also used to do acute care and you are exhausted because you're literally walking all day long, right? Chasing patients around, someone's in radiology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. I've been there too. Yeah, absolutely. It was totally a dream job. They hired me actually. They gave me a job while I was still a student. So I did one of my externships at uh, this big trauma hospital and just really fit in with the team and was lucky enough that the speech manager just saw some potential in me. I had my student supervisor like really vouch for me and it absolutely was a dream job. So you can imagine my disappointment when after like nine months on the job full time, I just decided I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And I think that that happens to a lot of people, right? Sometimes we idealize different positions. And for some people, it is still their dream job. But I think we also have to realize that whatever our dream jobs are, or whatever our expectations are, they can change. And we should have permission for ourselves to pivot away from that and to realize, you know what, this was good. I learned a lot. And it was a chapter of my life. But to also recognize when it's time to maybe move on to something new for your own self-preservation. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. So you did your CF at this acute care and you did some floating. And so what happened next? After getting my C's and moving away to from a provisional license to a full California speech and language pathology license, which was, yeah, very exciting. I spent a little bit of time sort of figuring out my next move. 
I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay medical side, but maybe work with a geriatric population, like in an outpatient sort of capacity, or if I wanted to kind of try something completely different. And during this time, I would say it was about two months that I really took to figure out what I wanted to do. I stumbled across an assistive technology specialist or an AAC specialist position through one of the local regional centers here in LA called Lanterman. During grad school, I had had a few very early clients that were AAC users, and I had always been sort of peripherally interested in it. And when this job opportunity came up and reading the posting, it said something along the lines of, ideally, it would be great if you had AAC experience, but were willing to train. And I thought, hey, you know, it's early enough in my career where I can just pivot and try something completely different. And if I like it, great. And if I don't, I don't. But if they're willing to train me and it's something I have interest in, why not? So I took a job working for Goodwill and contracting through the regional center. And they essentially provided me with both the training that I needed and also the AAC only caseload that I had in order to really become an AAC specialist. And I absolutely fell in love with the population. Working with kids and adults that have complex communication needs is absolutely my jam and a population I have a ton of passion for. So at that job, I decided to essentially really focus on augmentative and alternative communication. And that's what I started my private practice in. That's fantastic. So you were able to pivot from something that you thought was your dream job to something else that you had some interest in, but were willing to learn. And I think that that's really important that you identified something in yourself that you thought, hmm, what about this? And we're open to learning more and diving deeper. And then through that experience, it sounds like you kind of set yourself up for this next chapter, which was maybe like not on your horizon. Like, were you thinking about private practice ever? So, you know, it's so funny. I had in grad school, I actually did work at private practice as like an office assistant. I worked at a private practice in Santa Monica that saw the adult population and it was a practice that accepts like Medicare and private insurances. And since I worked in the front office, I saw just honestly how much of a disaster it was to really deal with insurance companies. And so I thought this is something I never want to do. And then in graduate school, in our very last quarter at Cal State LA, we take like a not sure the exact name of the course, but it's essentially like speech language pathology and business. We learn like how to write a resume. We talk about interviewing. We talk about negotiating a salary. We discuss sort of the basics of what it might be like to be a private practitioner. And one of our assignments in that class was to basically create a business plan for a hypothetical speech pathology practice. And my assignment or, or what I chose to hypothetically open was a private practice specializing in in in-home AAC services. So it must have been planted at some point. I just don't think that it was really at the forefront of my mind because at the time I was just really focused on being a good clinician, getting the experience, learning from my supervisors and really just learning like the meat and potatoes. And in kind of responding to your question, I think the seeds were planted long before I ever really was at a place to act on it. Yeah, the seeds were kind of there, but 
sort of in, in the back of the head. Well, right. I mean, to go completely metaphor here, right? They were planted, but it was like so underground that you weren't even thinking about it. Absolutely. And in fact, when I did think about it, I sort of thought about it with some negativity, only because of the experience I had working in a private speech practice, where, like I said, I got to see a lot of the nitty gritties that I didn't necessarily want for my life. I don't want to be on the phone verifying insurances. I don't want to be fighting with insurance companies or needing to chase clients down to pay their balances after insurance decided to deny their claim and whatnot. So I had seen maybe a very small part of what it might be like to be a private practitioner. And when I actually got ready to start my own practice, I actually learned a lot from you. You don't have to go that route. You don't have to have a brick and mortar space. You don't have to accept insurances right away. There is a way to do it in a way that works better for me. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that class. I feel like I should email that professor and tell him like, hey, I actually ended up starting this practice and thank you for the assignment because it has planted some seeds. You should send them a link to this podcast once it airs. Right? Well, and that's actually good to know because I ask people that all the time. Did you get any training about private practice in grad school? And to my knowledge, Howard University has some sort of a class. I'm not sure if it's a full semester class or shortened or whatever, but I've heard that Howard does some training. And I'm glad to hear it. Was it Cal State Fullerton, you said? Cal State LA. LA, sorry. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm glad that they do something anyway. Because that really is a missing piece of information for people, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why my company has been able to be so successful is because this is a gap in information and a gap in knowledge, right? People have desire and either they are interested in private practice from the get-go or something happens along the way in their careers, whether it's acute care like you or for other people's schools or whatever, and they realize, I still love this profession, But how work is going for me is not filling me up anymore. I'm not feeling as effective as I need to be as a clinician. And your part about having done some, a little bit of work at a private practice, I think it's a good thing to kind of then see what you like or how you might want to run your own business. But for other people who think that, oh, I want to start a private practice, so therefore I should go work in someone else's private practice that doesn't always end well. (laughs) So for anyone listening who's like, maybe I'm thinking about this and I should go work in someone else's practice. Sometimes it works out okay, but sometimes people get like a little territorial and they feel like, you know, I trained you and now you're going out and doing all these things. So for anyone listening, I actually don't recommend that route. But for people who do have experience either working in one or whatever, There is a little bit of a benefit, though, to seeing how something is run and then making your own decisions about how you want to run your own practice. I think we're at the part of your story where you're actually going to, you started your practice. Is that where we are? Or we started to talk about the last job, essentially, that I had before Before. starting my practice and how I came to be interested in AAC. Right. And yeah, I think we're at the part where I talk about taking the leap. So tell us how that worked for you. I think it was a combination of positive factors and some negative factors. So there were some things kind of pushing me away from my job and some factors that were really pulling me towards private practice. So after working as the AAC provider for my last job, I started to feel sort of stale. I was seeing a lot of the same sorts of cases. 
I started to feel like I wasn't really learning anything Mm -hmm. anymore. That was sort of a push factor. I also started to sort of get a little bit frustrated by some of the red tape that I was experiencing. So I worked for a regional center, which I don't know where people are listening to our conversation from, but in California, we essentially have a system in our state where if you're born with some type of developmental disability, you get connected to a regional center that essentially acts as a hub of care. So you get assigned a service coordinator that coordinates like early intervention services. You know, they sort of follow you uh, through the lifespan. And as you might imagine, being a government type of agency, things just moved really slowly. And I started to get frustrated with being young, being energetic, having all these ideas and wanting to really implement them, but feeling so bogged down by the process, feeling like I have all these ideas, I have all these things that I want to do and all these sort of processes that are outdated that I want to change, but not really feeling like I had an opportunity to really grow and to do those things. So that was sort of another push factor. And then to be honest with you, I started to also feel, because I'm someone who puts like 120% of myself into things, I started to look at all the billing I was doing for the practice, for the company, and realizing why am I working so hard for someone else? If I'm going to be putting in all these hours, if I'm going to be really putting in more than 100% of myself, I want that to be for something that I'm growing. I want that to be for something that I'm going to be developing and building over time. So those were all the factors. I ended up leaving actually just in June of this year. Hasn't been that long, but I left that, that position in the middle of June, 2019, and essentially was fairly up and running with my first client in July. So it didn't take very long at all. And that was sort of the, the beginning of technology voices. I love that story. I love what you said too, about just feeling a little bit restless in terms of your own, I don't know, space, right? You felt like you weren't learning new stuff and then the limitations of your employer and also the amount of income that you were contributing to them, right? This great quote, which I'm completely going to butcher right now in this moment, but essentially you can either help someone build their dreams or build your own, right? I said that wrong, but, but basically, right. you you sort of realize like, okay, either I'm going to continue to work 120% for this company and do all of this stuff for them and for a system that felt inefficient. And like probably the clients weren't getting, you know, the very best and whatever else. And that was important. Right. So Absolutely. you were like, I'm out, I'm going to go do my own thing. And how great that you had your first client within only a couple of weeks. That's amazing. Okay, so what happened next? So what happened next? It took some time to get my ducks in a row, obviously. I really leaned on my network in order to make that happen because I wanted to make sure that I was starting things off in a way that I wasn't taking on too much like financial investment without really being sure how things would go. So for instance, my brother's an attorney. He's actually a tax attorney, so he helped me Amazing. with yes, he would have helped me with a ton of like the tax filings and becoming a professional corporation because I'm here in California and there are a ton of rules about how a speech language pathology practice needs to be set up. My mom is also a CPA, so she helped me with a lot of the early sort of 
billing and making sure that my bookkeeping was right. And then I have a good friend who works in PR and in marketing. And so she was a really good resource for me in terms of setting up my website, creating business cards, making a logo. So I was really, really lucky, like I said, to be able to really lean on those people. So once I got my ducks in a row, I had my first few clients who just were very adamant about following me for my last job. Also a little bit frustrated with the quality of services that they were receiving because of all the issues I mentioned before. And so they were 100% on board with sticking with me. So my first few clients grew out of that space. From there, my first like brand new clients came from word of mouth completely. So families that I had worked with prior who knew sort of the the skill level I have in the area of AAC. And I I should mention also that even though LA is a big city, there are very few speech language pathologists that really focus on AAC and provide assessment, trial training, and consultation. So I think that also has been helping me in kind of the early days of my practice because once you're established as a good AAC practitioner, the families that work with you are very willing to sing your praises. They're very willing to talk with other families who have children or, or adults that have complex communication needs. I also have landed some school contracts, which I'm really happy to talk about. There is a non-public school in Santa Monica that is called the Gray Academy. And the Gray Academy was basically founded for children who have pretty severe neurological needs. So it's a school set up for kids that are essentially medically fragile and Mm -hmm. as a result have complex communication needs. And I actually was contacted a while ago to be recruited for a position there when I was not yet ready to really take the leap in any kind of way. At that point, I was happy in my position. And so once I started my practice, I just reached out to the academy and said, hey, my name is Tiffany. I'm an AAC speech therapist. Your student population is one that I have a lot of experience with. Are you still looking for someone? And essentially set up an interview that week and was offered the job like the next day. So... This practice, or this school, I should say, rather, has uh, contracted with my practice to provide AAC intervention to the students there. So I'm there about two days a week, and it's at this point really serving as like the bulk of my business and my income. And that's a great way to do it, right? It's great in really all areas. I mean, Los Angeles is obviously a massive city, right? That you can probably do any kind of practice, right? You could go the private pay route only, you could go insurance, you could do all of these things, right? But having school contracts also gives you a predictable income. And it's really nice to have that as a foundation to start to grow your practice, right? And it may be something that you stick with long term, or it may just be something that you kind of use to fill in some gaps or do like a day or so a week. One of the mentors for the Grow Your Private Practice coaching program, Chanel Lada, she lives in the Big Sky area of Montana, and she did a training for us all about school contracts. And one of the things that she found was in, she lives in an area that private pay doesn't work as well, so that those school contracts can be a fantastic way to increase predictable and solid income without always kind of chasing the next 
private pay opportunity, right? So I think that that's fantastic and good for you for reaching out to them and saying, you know, like, hey, I'm doing my own thing now. I would be happy to contract for you versus, hi, do you have any openings to hire me, right? Because you were looking to do your own thing. So good for you. That's amazing. Thank you. I have another school contract success story Ooh, to share. Please do. This is one that's um, it's still in the works. I'm putting the final touches on the contract, actually. But I think, Jenna, you would be proud of me for this one as well. When I left um, my last job and started my practice, I reached out to a lot of the professionals that I had been very collaborative with over my time at my last job. And there was one professional in particular, she works as the assistive technology specialist for one of the local school districts. Her and I and have a fantastic working relationship. We frequently collaborated on my clients, her students. I really trusted her clinical judgment. She trusted mine. We really were like a great and still are a great team and really providing good AAC intervention. And so when I let her know that I was leaving and was starting my own practice, she said, you know, our school district is always looking for someone who can do kind of independent sort of educational evaluations. And I'm going to put you in touch with the person. Initiated that contact between myself and the school district. And fast forward a few weeks later, I'm putting the finishing touches on another school contract to provide AAC assessment, trial training, and consultation to their students. So it was a total lean on my network, word of mouth. I trust Tiffany. I've worked with her person who works in the contracting department of our school district. You know, I can vouch for this person and whatever opportunity there is to bring Tiffany on board with her practice. I a hundred percent support that happening. So it'll be the second school contract I have, which is very exciting. See, so that's fantastic, right? So you'll have two things with, or two contracts that will give you some stability as you continue to build that word of mouth and to grow those relationships, right? You mentioned that you had a website, thanks to your friend who has a marketing background, right? That's really important for those low-hanging fruit and for people who are actively looking for services, as well as someone who might hear about you word of mouth and just want to check you out and, and do whatever, right? But the thing that I love about what you're saying is that whole idea of putting yourself out there. And that's something that SLPs tend to be nervous about, right? Whenever I say that, they think I'm going to tell them to like go to networking events or something. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about and what you did was leveraging relationships that you already have. It's not that hard to call an old colleague, an old friend, an old someone that you had a collaborative relationship and say, hey, I'm starting a private practice. These are the kind of people that I'm looking to work with. This is what my practice is going to look like or what it looks like. I have openings. Always mention that you have openings, right? And then let it go from there. But that's what I'm talking about when I say to put yourself out there. And that's exactly what you did. And look what's come of it. Yes. These are two big parts of, of the successes I've had early on in my private practice experience. But it's happened more frequently than that. Like I said, when I was getting ready to start my practice, I called old OT friend. I emailed old parents that I had worked with years ago. She said, how is so-and-so doing? Are they using their AAC device? And I reached out to a lot of people 
again, not necessarily expecting some like tit for tat sort of exchange, but just putting out there, this is what I'm doing now. And I have since had an OT friend set me up with a school that she also works in for a student that needs some problem solving with this AAC device. I've had a speech pathologist friend who I went to grad school with, who's also working in the schools, set me up to do some PD for them. So I'm going to go in and talk to their SLPs about all things AAC. So really for anybody who's listening, call your friend. It's not strange to get an email from an old colleague or a friend. In fact, people typically want to help if they have an opportunity and can help you. They, they certainly will. So I can't stress enough just how important reaching out and putting myself out there, even in a very small way, has, has been for my practice. Well, and I think we also tend to forget that we are small business owners, right? And how good do you feel, or I feel good when I go to a local bookstore? right? Instead of buying things on Amazon, which I'm super guilty of buying lots of things on Amazon. But, <laughs> but like when you go, when you support a local business, it just, it feels really good, right? Absolutely. And speech pathologists and private practices, they're local businesses and people want to support their friends. And so calling them, it's not like a salesy thing at all. Like it's a catching up thing. And it's a, Hey, I want to help the people that you know too, right? You want to be reaching out to anyone who might have the same ideal population as you have and saying, this is another resource for your people. If your people need help in this area, here's my information. Would love to talk to them. I don't know, something like that. It doesn't have to be like some hard sell selling yourself icky thing. It's catching up and letting people know that you're available to be a helper because we're all helpers and we all want people to know that we're available to help in an even better capacity than we were when maybe you knew them before and you worked for the acute care hospital or whatever. Completely. Completely. I love this so much. So what's next for you? What do you see the next six months or so, or even a year or more like for your practice? What I'm really focused on right now is trying to diversify my referral sources. I certainly have some school contracts, which like you said, have provided some really great stability, but the private client game is a little bit tricky. And so what I'm really focused on in the coming months is solidifying another referral source, most likely the regional center mm -hmm. system that I used to work for, because I do know the ins and outs of how things work with the regional center here. And I know that if I get vendorized with one of the local regional centers, that I'll have a more or less steady flow of clients while the private practice piece or the private pay piece, I should say, continues to pick up Yeah, because it has been growing. I do get phone calls from like the quote unquote low hanging fruit of people who are just kind of Googling around online. I have had parents talk to other parents about me and reach out, but it can be a little bit inconsistent. So I'm really focused in the next six months getting more diverse and more solidified referral sources. And I hope after that, looking at a year and beyond, I really want to hire people. I'm particularly passionate about supervision and I'd really like to hire maybe a CF or somebody who, like me, where I was interested early on in AAC, 
I'm really interested in being that person that provides the the support and the training necessary to like become a little bit more of a specialist in AAC and bring somebody on to see some of my clients and also grow my practice in that way. So a year and beyond, hopefully I'm an employer in the short term future is getting some more solid referral sources. And if you get those solid referral sources, it will probably be like less than a year before you're talking about hiring, right? Yes. Which would be incredible. And that's another thing that people get really nervous about, or some people do anyway, is about hiring. But what I want people to also think about is it's all of this is about communication, right? Leadership is about communication. Supervision is about communication. When people are talking about bringing people into their company in order to grow their company and grow their team, it's all based on communication, which for us is something that we have a master's degree in. We're, we should all be pretty good at that, right? Yeah. So that's what you should also be thinking about. And I love your energy. I love this feeling of you also wanting to mentor people in the same way maybe you have had or that you've wanted and to be able to grow people into really amazing AC specialists also. So I think that that is a wonderful plan and a very realistic plan and probably in the shorter term than you actually think. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the support. That's certainly the, where I see things headed. And who knows, maybe you'll check in on me in six months and a year and I'll say, hey, Jenna, you were right. I got there sooner than I expected. Well, I know lots of people in, in especially Grow Your Private Practice who that happens to all the time, right? They are going on one track and all of a sudden new referral sources open up and they're all of a sudden flooded. And it feels kind of good that first time you have a wait list and then your wait list starts to grow more. And then there is actually for most people kind of an uneasy feeling of, you know, I thought I wanted a wait list, but now that I have one, I feel guilty not serving these people. So that's where a lot of times people end up hiring is from a place of, again, of, of love and of support of these future clients to say, I don't like the feeling of having people go without services, right? That's really powerful for a lot of people. And also having your contracts at schools and becoming contracted through the regional center those are completely legitimate ways to grow your private practice, right? I completely understand wanting to get more private pay or more diverse referrals, but those are great ways to do it. I've had lots of students who have done that and have been really successful that way. And that's, again, what can kind of take you from like just starting out to all of a sudden booming and really seeing your practice grow. And I'm just so excited for you that this has all happened for people listening. That's only really been a couple of months since Tiffany took off on this. And that's one of the things that I really want to highlight on this podcast is that you can do this and you can start and you can be successful relatively quickly when you open yourself up to really making this happen, right? And Tiffany, you did such a good job of calling those old coworkers and calling those old colleagues and grad school friends and whoever else and putting yourself out there even just a little bit and then you also mentioned those leveraging those networks, right? You were pretty lucky to have some great people in your family and friends, but leaning on people that you already knew and were happy to help you. And there will be more people who will be happy to help you in the future. Absolutely. I hope so. I have to say, honestly, I have never personally been happier 
or more satisfied with work since starting my own practice. Certainly there's an amount of sort of needing to take the leap and feeling a little bit nervous or maybe initially stressed about getting your ducks in a row because it, it can be a little bit overwhelming, the process of making sure you're being taxed in the right way and you've got the right professional liability insurance and whatnot. But since starting my practice, I have had so much more time for myself and for doing things that make me happy outside of work. And not only that, but I actually feel so much more satisfied with the work that I'm doing because I know that I'm doing a good job. I don't have an enormous caseload of all complex communicators that I don't feel like I'm giving the right amount or the right quality of service to. I'm able to really focus on each and every single one of my private pay clients and also my school my school-aged clients as well, because I now have the flexibility where I'm being compensated for my time. And by being correctly compensated for my time, I'm able to really put in good work for my clients. So I've never felt more satisfied personally and also professionally. I know that I'm doing good work for the people I'm serving and I'm getting compensated for it. There's really no better combination and not having to work weekends or holidays anymore. I mean, you can't put a price on that. I have been just over the moon happy with this choice, honestly. Well, and you've come full circle, right? Because especially when you just mentioned the not having to work holidays and weekends, right? That's like why you started, right? That's why in the beginning with the acute care job, which you thought was your dream job, ended up not being And now you do have that control over not only what you do, but control over your time in order to have time for yourself, enough time for your clients. This all comes down to time, right? You want time for yourself to do a good job. For people who have families and kids and that kind of thing, a lot of that is about wanting to spend more time with your family. And then, you know, enough time with your clients. A lot of our clients get really shortchanged on time and none of us feel good about that. So being able to make that difference and then being compensated for your time, right? That's the third variable here. And some people get nervous when people talk about money, but all of us realize, I think in our hearts, that we know a lot more and we have a lot more professional experience than other people see in us sometimes and decide to compensate what our value and our worth is. So good for you for understanding what that is and taking control of your time in like your personal time, your client's time, and also the time that you're spending and what you're being reimbursed for it. Love it. So is there anything before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to share with people? I think the one thing that we didn't touch on that I initially felt in having kind of the initial conversations with myself about starting my own practice is I am fairly young. So I have been a practicing speech language pathologist for three years. And I think sometimes when we have the conversation about private practice, people feel like they need to be an SLP for X amount of time before they decide to take on 
private clients or, or start their own practice. Maybe you feel you need to be practicing for five years or 10 years before you feel like you have the competencies to be a business owner or to put yourself out there as a private practitioner. And I have to say that I'm really glad I didn't let that stop me from taking this leap because certainly it takes time to build a practice. And I'm glad that I decided to do that now before just having a family, before having kids, because I know that by the time I do have a family and things in my personal life change, that I will have had the foundations of this private practice and I will have been building this private practice for a long time. And so I would say to anybody who is maybe caught up on the on the age piece or being caught up on, oh, I've only been practicing for X amount of time. Don't let that stop you. And if you need to get started seeing private clients on the side, like I know you, Jenna, sometimes coach and tell your students, that's perfectly okay. But don't wait until you hit some benchmark of years under your belt, or don't wait until you personally hit some milestone, like you're 30 or 35 or 40 or or whatever before you decide to take the leap because it certainly is possible to have success at a younger age. Yeah, completely, right? I think a lot of people want to wait until they're ready, whatever that means. And the truth is is that you're never really ready. At some point you just have to decide, I'm going to try this, right? Some people go all in, some people go the on the side route and get their feet route. You know, it doesn't matter which one of those you choose. But I often advise people like to not wait until they become an expert, but to be, because then you might be waiting forever, but to become an expert because of your private practice, right? And that's what you're doing, right? You are continuing to develop this AAC specialty and becoming an expert with your clients now, doing trainings. Now you're leading professional development things too. But a lot of people who join my programs are much older. They're in their 50s, 60s even, and they think, shoot, like I almost missed an opportunity to do this. If I don't do this now, I will have never done it. And then I have people like you and like I was this way too, that started way earlier in our careers than we ever thought that this was possible. As a result, think of all of the time that you will get to have been in private practice and been forging your own way, creating your own opportunities, both professionally, personally, and financially while other people are continuing to maybe work in settings that they don't like or don't like anymore, and maybe even heading toward burnout, where now you've just described having this really nice balance in your life, and you're young, you don't even have that family yet. So if you decide to get married and have kids or whatever, personal decision, but if you decide to do that, you will probably continue to have this practice built around your life and put your life first. We just released a podcast episode Um, with Carmen Glasgow. And that's what she talked about, that she built her practice completely around her life. She designed everything around being a mom, right? And I think that people want to do that. I've had other people who are these major athletes, right? Like triathletes and these people who do, or people who do a lot of community service and believe in that too, right? You can find the balance if you keep that in mind from the beginning. And that's another reason to think about hiring is because you eventually are going to get so busy that you're going to have to choose, do I still want to be able to have, you know, to 
go to yoga or be able to be with my parents at time. I, I don't know, whatever. Or do I need to see this kid? Someone has to see this kid. Does it have to be me? Or could it be this other person that I've just brought on? So Tiffany, the options for you are so amazing right now. You're really just at this, the forefront of this. But congratulations for taking a leap and taking a chance on yourself. And this is going really well and will only continue to get better. Thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm proud of you. I feel like you remind me a lot of myself. I really love seeing and hearing your energy and your commitment to making this work for your community and also for you and your life. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing your insights. I'm sure that the listeners are just having so many like aha moments and or fist pumping and being so excited for certain things that you've been saying. So congratulations. And yes, please keep in touch because I can't wait to hear where you are in six months or a year. I'm sure it's going to be far past what you, what goals you have now. Awesome. My pleasure. Will do. Great. All right. Well, again, thanks for being on and we will catch up later to see how you're doing. Talk soon, Jenna. Bye. Bye. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. I think that Tiffany was so much fun to interview and everything she said, I was just like, yes, yes, everyone needs to hear this, right? Especially the parts about the balance and being able to find balance in your life, about being able to follow your clinical passions and your drive. And then by starting your private practice when you're ready, whether that's, you know, on the younger side or the older side, but to not have to wait until you have decades of experience to get started. And if you're looking to get started in private practice, I want you to come to my free training in which you will learn more about private practice than you ever learned in graduate school. I go through all of the steps you need to know to get started, as well as the path that successful private practitioners follow. So you can sign up for that at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar. I would absolutely love to have you and you'll learn all of the steps to follow, which were the same ones that Tiffany followed. So head over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar to sign up. And um, again, I hope that you're enjoying these episodes. It is the absolute highlight of my week when I sit down with private practitioners from across the country to hear their stories. And oftentimes I know of the people I'm about to interview, but I don't know their stories either. So it's all unfolding for me live, which is really fun as well. So um, we have a whole bunch more episodes coming up, getting ready to be released. And so I hope that you'll continue to listen and that you're getting a lot of value from these podcasts. Have a wonderful week and we'll talk soon. Bye. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks. 
the start track and the grow track because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I wanna teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click start or grow and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.